Today we're going to be in Joshua, uh, but you already heard what the kids are in. And so if you get that sleepy time in the middle of my message this morning, you know, if you go in the kids, I know you won't be sleeping. Either way, the gospel's going out today, and uh, it will be sweet. Um, more seriously, uh, I just uh, want to make a couple announcements besides the fact that Ben and Sarah are gone for a few weeks. Uh, first, um, Patrick Nave uh, came up, and um, thanks, Patrick, for leading us in, in that prayer over uh, women's DNA ministries. Um, Patrick Nave, as you know, is an elder candidate. We presented him a few weeks ago to the congregation um, and uh, for a, a period of a month. And so if you have questions of us, please con come contact us uh, personally, or there's an email to Radiant that you can send something to. Um, certainly you can talk to Patrick if you have questions, but I just ask and encourage you to pray for the Nave family, uh, pray for God's protection, God's leading, and just, uh, you know, God's grace to them for him stepping into this uh, role, and we're, we're excited. Um, so, second thing is uh, the April 15th, we're having a Good Friday service here at the building. We'll be sharing with uh, Shelter, so it'll be at 6 o'clock. April 15th, so put that on your calendar for Friday the 15th at 6 p.m. It'll be a sweet time with the shelter folks. And finally, um, ladies, I know you had a great retreat last week. Well, us guys, um, there's some men that have been diligently working on a men's retreat program, and I think that's going to kick off in June. There's some dates up there, I think, uh, or they'll be scrolling. Anyway, um, you'll hear more information about that, but this is going to be once a month over the course of the summer. Um, there'll be some overnight opportunities in God's creation. Um, mostly it's just an opportunity for iron to sharpen iron. And so um, uh, look for more information on that. Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 9. Uh, we've been walking through uh, God's promises to the Israelites. And we've, um, I think that's titled... Uh, a Journey into God's Promises is, is the title of this uh, message series. And today, um, we call it the Gibeonite Deception. Uh, it's an interesting story. It's befuddling in some ways story, but it's a story about we broken people. And it's so relevant for today. Um, and I'm thankful to be able to come and share this with you. It underscores this basic choice that we have as people of submitting to God or fighting Him. Uh, that is fundamentally what we're going to hear about today, and of course that is the choice that we as mankind have had since the garden. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and for your word. Uh, we just pray that it will not go out void today, Lord, that you will use it for your glory, that you will impact uh, we people, your church, for your kingdom. And I just pray that the words that I speak would be correct, that people would hear them, but more than that, God, that you'd be glorified. And I just thank you for your family here gathered to together. I pray a protection over this building, and I just pray for your spirit moving here. Thank you, Jesus, and we just um, are excited about looking into your story of how you moved in your people, the Israelites. In your name, Jesus, amen. 
Okay, well, you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9, or if you're like a lot of us, now we have our phones, so you can pull up your phone, and I think we also even have, um, we even have the text that I'm going to read, um, and this will be a bit of a, this is a bit of a read, it's the whole of chapter 9. So, you remember in the olden days, that would be like in the days of, Israel, kind of like here, they would read from the scrolls. Well, that's what, that's what I'm going to do right now. This is the scroll coming from a holy God to you today. Gibeon chapter 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, Lebanon excuse me, the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkey and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Basham, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were the neighbors, that they were their neighbors, and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Sephirah, Beeroth, Kiriath, Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, Let them live. 
So they become, became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all of the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to you, all the land, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and did not, they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So that is the story that we're going to unpack today. Um, And I'm just going to give a little kind of introduction to it, but I think, um, and then I'll remind us of where we've been a little bit, and then we're going to dive kind of bit by bit into today's story. So, as I mentioned earlier, the, really the, the, the um, main points we're going to talk about is um, the Gibeonite deception is a question of whether we submit to God and fight on his terms as family, or rebel against God and fight on our terms. We have a choice. Joshua led the Israelites in submission to God. Not always. In fact, we just, what was it, two weeks ago, read about when Achan took devoted things after they conquered Jericho. After the walls of Jericho crumbled to the ground, Achan took things devoted for destruction and uh, spoil that had been for the temple, and he stole those, and consequently they lost their first fight, their first fight at, at uh, Ai. The Gibeonites chose to submit to God even though they lied in the process. So that's the second part of the story you heard, which is an interesting conundrum for me that they lied and yet they're not being destroyed, and we'll talk about that. And finally, the Canaanite kings chose to fight God. So in today's story, really, you have two of the groups that are submitting to God, that are not submitting, actually, would be the Israelites and the Canaanites. It's the Gibeonites that are. We know that God's righteousness triumphs over over evil in the end, and those that fight him lose. In Joshua 9, we'll see that sinners are saved when they submit to God, but their actions do have consequences. This is an archetype, really, for Jesus' blood that's a perfect sacrifice, and it does cover our sin curse. So, recapping just where we've been a little bit, um, we've talked about three promises that God has for his people. Provision, protection, and presence. His provision during their 40 years that that he made a way for them across the Red Sea, that he provided them manna every day, getting them to the promised land, that their families were growing and populating, that he gave them protection during these 40 years, of course, starting out with from Egypt that wanted to attack and kill them as they left. 
He gave them protection from disease and famine because of his provision. He protected them from other nations that wanted to conquer them. In fact, gave great victories. Uh, you heard mentioned in this about the kings of Canaan knew of Moses' victories over King Og, for example. Finally, this presence. Um, God was with them and is today in the story. The pillar of cloud that went before them and the fire at night so they could travel by day or night. God's dwelling in the tabernacle. The giving of his word, the law, that, that we just heard read last week when they were between the two mountains. And speaking through his people, Moses and Joshua. God was with his people, the Israelites. Last week we saw them, the Israelites, that is, renew their covenant, worshiping between these two mountains, as I mentioned, Ebal and Gerizim, with the ark. Sacrifices were offered. Joshua read the law to his people. They renewed their covenant to a holy God. So today unfolds, right after they renewed their covenant, and let's, we'll bust into this a little bit, starting in verse 1. When the kings heard, they banded together to fight Israel. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Israel. So the choice was to fight God or not. The Canaanite kings chose to fight God. Some background on these nations, and of course we know this just having walked through much of it in Joshua. Um, nations were from kind of this area west of the Jordan before the Mediterranean Sea. Um, we broadly call them Canaanites, um, which they're descendants, of course, of uh, Noah's son, grandson, rather. Um, and they were a people that were to be displaced because this was God's promised land. In Exodus 22.20, it's, it tells the people that these Canaanites sacrificed to idols. Um, or rather, in, in 22 is the law of Moses that, that said that if you sacrificed to idols, you were to be destroyed, and the Canaanites were sacrificers. And we're going to specifically read in this next uh, set of verses in Deuteronomy. Let's pull that one up, Deuteronomy 7. Of these people, God said in, in Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no, no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn, you, they would turn your sons from following me to serve other gods. Well, the Canaanite kings, when they heard of the victory at Ai, and, I, and, and they also knew of the worship, the renewed covenant between the two mountains, they decided to fight to the Israelites. That was their response. 
These were a wicked people, and God had said that they were to be devoted to complete destruction. And his reasoning, of course, was because he would be, they would turn his people away. So, after they lost to Ai the first time because of Achan's, Achan's uh, sin, God gave them a victory. I found it very interesting in that the defeat and the victory at Ai, 36 people were killed when the Israelites were defeated the first time. 12,000 were, were killed not one Israelite, all of the city of Ai. So Israel was disciplined for their failure to obey God, but it is significant to me that the difference of 12 or 36 lives versus 12,000 is stunning. Um, Israel's covenant renewal between Mount Ebal and uh, in Gerizim in Joshua 8 uh, I believe that that incited some of these nations to, re to come after Israel, um, whether it's because they thought they were amassing for war or because they hated a holy God and people that worshipped. But those two events, the victory at Ai and, and their worship, rededication, seem to have brought these Canaanite kings together. And, of course, these were not kings that got, to, that, that got along well. Moving into verse 3 through 6, the Gibeonites submitted and they act with, with cunning to make a covenant with Israel. So when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and mended, with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly and they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. So Gibeon was a Canaanite nation that was devoted for destruction according to this passage we just read. And what, did, what was their response? They chose to submit. They could have, they could have chosen to fight. They could have joined ranks with the Canaanite kings, and they did not. In an effort to save themselves, Gibeon created a ruse. They lied. The law given to Moses, as, as we just read, uh, said anyone who sacrifices to God is to be killed in Exodus 22.20. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. The Gibeonites, by the way, were a people group that were descended from the, Ammonite, uh, the Amorites, and they worshipped idols. We know that from Samuel 21. So this kind of first place in which we say, wow, we have this opportunity often, don't we? Are we going to submit to God? Or are we going to fight God? And we often tend to think that fighting God is when you stand on the step and you yell curses against God. We don't necessarily think that it's when we maybe don't seek God's counsel. We'll learn, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. In verses uh, 7 through 13, Israel said to the Hittites, Perhaps you live among us. 
So they are following this line of questioning, trying to understand who these people are that have showed up and wanted to make a covenant because they're wary. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then can we make a covenant with you? How can we? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, the king of Hebron, Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from your house as our food for the journey on the day we set out to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbling. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. These garments and sandals of ours were, are worn out from the very long journey. Israel did not ask God's counsel, and then Joshua makes a covenant. So in verse 14, um, let's read these verses here. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Now I kind of get to the main point, don't we? The leaders of Israel took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel of the Lord. They clearly had questions about the identity of the travelers. Why didn't, they, why didn't they go to the Lord? Was it the temptation of holding the possessions that clouded their, sentence, their senses? Like Eve holding the apple in the Garden of Eden and then taking a bite? Or recall the story of Frodo in the, in the uh, Lord of the Rings, trying on the ring, becoming obsessed with it. They were told to ask the Lord's counsel. In fact, in Numbers 27, um, Numbers 27, 21, the priest was to seek a revelation of God's will for Joshua by means of the sacred oracle, the Urim and the Thummim. At his word shall go out, and at his word shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest and shall inquire by, for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. The Israelites clearly wondered who these people were. They had a command by God that they should find wisdom by seeking him, and they did not. It wasn't just Joshua, by the way. He had his uh, leaders with him. I guess it's worse, because it wasn't just Joshua making this mistake. It was, it was the leadership of Israel that chose not to seek counsel of God, that chose to walk by sight and not by faith. The Gibeonite village, I think, is about 20 miles away. We're not talking about a long ways away. So they might have known. They obviously had questions. The Gibeonites appealed to Israel's pride. Uh, the whole thing of, um, we are your servants. It's an interesting approach that the Gibeonites used. Um, 
reading uh, one of the commentaries of Matthew Henry. You may recall he's classic uh, commentary on the Bible. Matthew Henry says, Disguise and flattery are still among the enemy's most often used and frequently successful weapons to bring about compromise from God's revealed will and standards in our lives as his redeemed people. Mm. Well, the enemy in the Garden of Eden, of course, said to Eve um, and Adam, you will be like God, appealed to their pride. More generally in Proverbs than just a specific command to the Israelites, we're told in Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. But we, like the Israelites, don't often ask, don't always ask for sure, and maybe not often. Why is that? I think it's because we don't want God's counsel. I think it's because I want my own way. Hmm. Let's move along into um, verse 16. At the end of three days, they had made a covenant with them. They heard that they were their neighbors, and they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their, now their cities were Gibeon, Sephra, Beeroth, Kiriath, Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them, because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So the Israelites now have some problems. They have made a treaty with a people that they were devoted to destruction. And from a political standpoint, now they've got rumoring amongst the congregation against them. Economically, they lost the opportunity to plunder cities, to take over cities. This is all bad. But the good thing is they knew that they could not break this covenant because they had swore this before holy God. So despite the fact that the Gibeonites had lied to get this deal, the Israelites had sworn before God. They were locked in. Joshua does, however, decree that they must be slaves, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation. So he decrees that they will be slaves to them. So moving on, um, now, you know, Israel's trying to figure this out. In, in verse 22, Joshua summoned them and says, why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell amongst us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. 
But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in that place that he should choose. So Gibeon said they were afraid. They acknowledged, they said, that God was with the Israelites. They believed that God was going to give the Israelites a victory for a certainty. So they decided to lie. There's never an excuse to lie. There's never an excuse to sin. But God's grace was greater. Just like us. I struggled with this part because I was, in fact, I was talking to Bob before and I was like, I I read these stories and I get mad at the Israelites because they're doing a dumb thing. And then I read about the Gibeonites and they made a deal on the cheat. And then I realize that I'm just like them. I come to God as a liar and a cheat, proud, not humble. That's our state as a broken people. The Canaanite kings west of the Jordan banded together to fight the Israelites. They don't attack in this chapter, but they do make plans to. Ironically, in the next chapter, we're going to hear about, I think it's next week, Israel will come to defend the Gibeonites, who just made a deal on the cheat with them. They're going to defend them, and that's because of the covenant of the treaty that they made. Under Hebraic law, Israelites were bound to protect them. Ultimately, we know, of course, the, Canaanite, the Canaanites lost much of this land, and, and um, David and Solomon took it over, but it doesn't happen at this point. It does happen in God's time. So come back to this. Why did the Gibeonites choose to submit to God and the Canaanite kings choose to fight God? 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, uh, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Like Pharaoh and sometimes us, our hearts can be hardened softened by God's truth. The Canaanite king's hearts were hardened. They chose to fight. The Gibeonites, they really didn't know of an alternative because if they had said who they were, they thought they would die, so they decided they would lie and put themselves before the mercy of a gracious God. So, yeah, Gibeon made a treaty. They were spared. They were cursed. Like Rahab earlier in Joshua, who confessed God, though she was a prostitute and a liar. She remember she lied to the government when they came to her place, to to the um, uh, military guys. Her faith and her actions saved her and her family. There's a real similarity between Rahab and the Gibeonites. Certainly, the Gibeonites weren't. Um, weren't courageous like we would say Rahab was, but nonetheless, they acknowledged a holy God who would deliver Israel. Well, we're cursed by our sin. You mentioned the Garden of Eden, and you go back into Genesis 3, where God says to the woman, I'll surely multiply your pain in, in childbearing. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten, the, eaten of the tree, because you've listened and eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Is this the way of sin? 
Yeah. The way of sin is death. And it does have worldly consequences. But God gives redemption and protection and life to those that turn and submit to him. And so he gave life to the Gibeonites. He didn't have them destroyed because they turned to him. Working through this idea of coming to a God as a deceiver, I'm reminded of Romans 8, 5, 8 rather, where it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, we come with our fists in God's face and he offers us forgiveness and eternal life, either of which we deserve. Um, Well, that's our story today. I'm just going to wrap it up and kind of remind us of the rest of the story. And this is actually kind of cool. The Gibeonites were servants in the tabernacle for years. Um, So they became servants in the tabernacle and became part of the Israelite culture. In fact, in the prophet Nehemiah's time, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, was one of the men who made repairs to the tabernacle. This is in Nehemiah 3.7, where he dwelled. Cool? Unless we forget about you know, being slaves and how lowly that might have been. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 84? For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's Psalm 84.10. Well, the gospel takeaways are pretty clear here. God saves through his son Jesus and the blood that he has, even when we come as liars and cheats and thieves. In fact, that's how we come unable to meet God's standard of perfect righteousness on our own. God's plan of provision, protection, and presence didn't evaporate because of the Israelites' sin. They had things that happened. In fact, later they go into captivity in many instances. But God's plan of redeeming his people did not change. He has a plan for redemption. He continued to make a way for his people Israel just like he does for you and me. He calls us to repentance, faithful obedience. So the questions we ask ourselves, have you been relying on your own judgment instead of God's? Walking by sight rather than faith. And I was reminded in reading A.W. Tozier, actually I don't know if I was reminded, I think A.W. Tozier reminded me Um, I'm going to just read this and we'll end up in Isaiah 42. Most of us go through life praying a little, planning a lot, jockeying for position, hoping, never quite being certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It is to repudiate our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God. Our insistence upon seeing ahead is natural enough, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. And Isaiah 42 says, here is the promise. 
And I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things I will do unto them and forsake not them. Let's pray. Father, we are broken people coming to you with all kinds of sin and mess, and yet you offer us uh, eternity with you. You offer us good with you. You will bless us, Lord, you tell us. All of this is not because we deserve it, but because you are loving and eternally gracious God who made a way for us through your son Jesus. Father, I just pray that today that um, we will be pierced by the words uh, in Joshua and the Spirit moves in our lives to just show us where, where we're relying on our, our own sight and not you, Lord. I pray for that in my own life, that you would convict me and you would use your people here to convict me, that that's how we are as a people of God, that we are together holding one another accountable, Jesus. Hmm. Thank you for your word and for how it goes out powerfully. I just thank you for this time, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.